Welcome back, Cutoffs and Coffee Podcast. We are your hosts, as always, James and CT from T3 Performance. This is episode 48 today on the podcast. We are absolutely blessed to have strength coach Tom Morris. He is the director of strength and conditioning at my alma mater, Indiana University. Tom has done some amazing things in his time at Indiana. And 10 years ago, he actually became paralyzed from the chest down. We talked through that story. He talks about changing his attitude, practicing gratitude, and overcoming adversity to stay in and rise, continue to rise up in his position at IU as he's doing it so well now, being the director out there and inspiring many people on a daily basis. We talk about his story. We talk about how important relationships are in training and how important it is to have gratitude always in your everyday life. So we know you listeners are going to love this just as much as we love to have in this conversation. And today's episode is brought to you by Flight School Golf. This is not your grandfather's golf program. You might have seen some of the teasers out on social media recently of me and CT talking about this program. The program is jam-packed with a gold mine of exercises. It's a phenomenal workout to help you get more rotational, more mobile, lose a little bit of weight if that's your goal, or just get in better cardiovascular shape. That all translates to hitting nukes on the tee box. We can't help you fix the slice, but there are coaches in the program that can. Right. But what we can do is help you add 30 yards to your drive so you can start talking shit to your friends about how hard you hit a golf ball. And if you like what we're doing on the podcast or on the Flight School Golf Program, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can follow us on Apple or Spotify, share, comment, let us know who you want to hear on the podcast. We will try our best to get on with them and have great conversations. So without further ado, here it is. Episode 48 with Coach Tom Morris from Indiana University. Enjoy. Coach Tom, welcome to Cutoffs in Coffee. We're so happy to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing phenomenal. I'm honored to be here. Excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, we've been excited to uh, to have you. We, we took a couple weeks off. I had some life things come up. I, I bought a house. I got engaged. A lot of stuff was going on. But we knew when we came back that we really wanted to have a guest who James and I both looked up to immensely um, and who was preaching some of the same stuff we were. So I'm, I'm so grateful we were able to have you. And I'm really excited to dive into this conversation, but let's get started before we get into your story. Let's, let's knock out a couple questions. So we get to know a little bit more about you. First one, Google Tom Morris, some stuff is going to come up. Tom Morris, Indiana, even more stuff is going to come up. What's something that we need to know about you that we can't find from a Google search? It's a good question. I would say as of recent, especially in the last year, um, my wife and I decided to get certified to be foster parents. And, uh, this has been one of the most epic things that we've ever done because, you know, it's, it started off with this, uh, you both are, are you married? You both are, you, you're both married. James is, yep. So, so listen, your wife or, or girlfriend, they, they say, Hey, I got an idea. We should do this. And, uh, my wife did this to me and I said, yeah, sure. We should be sort of, we should be foster parents. But I kind of nodded, not really thinking like we were actually good. And then all of a sudden, we're deep, we're deep, we're deep into this and we are getting certified. And before you know it, we get certified. And day one, we get the call for some little baby needing a foster family. And two days after that, we have a seven day old, seven day old little baby in our house, two parents two people that have don't have anybody besides a dog. We didn't even have a car seat for the, for the little guy. And we went on a scavenger hunt of just getting everything together. 
but we have had now multiple kids come in and out of our house and it has been just a the, the most rewarding thing that we've done up to this date. It's been absolutely incredible. Oh, that's unbelievable. I, I just saw my screen. My jaw was on the floor, so I had to kind of pick it up there. So I apologize to everybody watching on, on YouTube. That is, oh, that is so cool. Most, most people have nine months to prepare. You guys said, what, nine hours, it sounds like? Nine hours. It took 24, in all fairness. Maybe it was 24, <laughs> but 24 hours of just literally trying to get everything together and getting it all in and then coming home. And I sat in the back seat while my wife was driving, and I'm sitting there with this little baby looking and going, what the heck did we just do? And, uh, but I got to tell you, I mean, after uh, about a week of not sleeping at all and just trying to work through it, it, I, it, I don't know, you get into a little bit of a rhythm and before you know it, you're, you're, you're rolling. So it's pretty cool. Oh, that's so awesome. Now, would How you about- say that your caffeine consumption has increased since uh, becoming foster parents uh, versus previously? Mm-hmm. Way, yes, way it is. It is. Yeah, it's like 10x. I mean, this is it's unreal. To, I mean, it's it's nonstop, and I just keep nailing down caffeine to keep it going. That's awesome. This this next question may be a similar answer, but can you think of the last skill you taught yourself or something that you're currently walk, working on? And shoot, it might be parenting. Yeah, and it, man, I, I might definitely go with parenting. Um, that's one that uh, I it's, I. I I'm actively working on it because it's like trial by fire. Um, But intentional stuff, I would say, um, you know what I really got into was video editing. I had no idea. I always, I got into this whole Instagram, TikTok world, and it is so much fun to take a bunch of different clips and just kind of put it together and tell a story. It's just, it's, it's kind of a neat way to uh, articulate a message or, or to, tell a, a really cool story. So I've been doing a lot of that. I've been learning how to use iMovie and then uh, Adobe Premiere. And it's been pretty cool to be able to put together those stories, both from different, like uh, the, the foster family stuff to um, actually stuff in the weight room with some of the athletes. So pretty cool new things. Yeah, that's, that's great. We've worked with a couple athletes who now are pursuing that as a career. And it's so cool to see what some of the guys are doing. I mean, that wasn't even an option when, when we were in school. And now, you know, people are making some good money doing it and, and, and enjoying it. Um, so let's get in your story. Tell us, catch us up to speed. Who is Tom Morris? What do you do? Where are you at? And catch us up to, you know, where we're at today. Yeah. So Tom Morris, uh, director of uh, strength and conditioning at Indiana university. Uh, I get to work with 15 incredible strength coaches. Uh, we work with over 700 and I think we're at 750 athletes. So 24 sports here, um, everything from football, to, to your 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 field hockey's to golf's to you name it and we got every athlete in between um, I'll backtrack a little bit how I got to this point uh, graduate grew up playing football in northeast Pennsylvania when football was all said and done it it put me on a path to you know for this quest to still be around sport and uh, and I was at Penn State at the time and I it was a natural transition to just stay in the weight room and stay in the weight room and just start um, doing the things that I loved. And that was lifting weights to get stronger, both physically, mentally. And that showed me a profession of strength and conditioning. And so spent the, uh, under my rest, of my undergrad there and in grad school, went on to become a director at LaSalle and LaSalle university in Philadelphia. From there came out here. It is now 17 years of being out here at this university, which is, it's, a, it's kind of unheard of. I mean, most people are 
at each university for just a little bit of time or even in different settings. Uh, but, but I'll tell you what, we ended up in Bloomington 17 years ago and it's, it's quite a community. It's quite a, a great place. So um, spent the last 17 years really just kind of busting my butt to, to get to a point where I started off as an assistant strength coach and then slowly just kept building up on there and then uh, became the director about nine, about nine years ago. Um, my story has a kind of unique twist to, to so many of these things because I was, you know, the athlete, I was, I was active. I, I demonstrated myself. My way of life was, was movement. And, um, and then about nine, now 10 years ago, I was involved in a mountain bike accident. Um, and that's where the story really gets interesting because that mountain bike accident, um, the mountain bike accident I suffered, it paralyzed me from the chest down. And um, I use a wheelchair now to, to do the same things as I was doing before, uh, but obviously having to do it uh, significantly different. Do you feel comfortable kind of rolling, rolling us through that, um, talking us through, you know, it was, it was May 17th, I believe, of, of 2012. And it was, I think, a year maybe or two before that. I was actually competing in a sprint triathlon in Eagle Creek in Indianapolis. And I was on the bike after swimming, I mean, almost to drown in, in, in the open water. Um, and it was just something I was doing kind of to break the monotony of just training for football. Cause I was still playing college football and I'm on the bike. I'm riding and I hear somebody come up uh, on the left. And so I get over to the right side and I see, and, and coach Tom goes flying by me on the bike flying by me. And at that moment, I remember thinking, because we had two strength coaches who, and no disrespect, obviously no disrespect to them, did not do what they had us doing in, in the gym. And I always remember thinking like, how is this guy telling me what to do? And, you know, screaming at me and moving me through this gym, but I'd never see him do it. Right. I saw you take off by me in the sprint try. And I, my level of respect, not like I didn't have any respect, but it just shot through the roof. I thought, oh, this guy's the real deal, right? Like competitive athlete on the bike, again, flying by me. And so since then, and, and you were already at Indiana at the time, um, you know, since then I've kind of followed your journey and, and I know how into the physical part was. What was, you know, take us through that moment, uh, May 17th, talk about the, the wreck a little bit and, um, you know, kind of fill us in on what was going on through your mind, understanding that what I do is move. Yeah. And now I don't really have the, the opportunity to do that as much. Yeah. So I'll frame it based off of a lot of what you just said. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, so my whole life, I played football. Uh, I love being active, love being around, you know, just sport and being able to move. Uh, so later on, after football was done, I got into triathlons as well. I started racing mountain bikes and then that led to triathlons. And um, I would say I went from this like 240 pound, you know, safety uh, that just got bit by what they call the endurance bug. And before you know it, I'm like sub 200 pounds. I haven't been there since like junior high. And then I'm just kind of getting leaned up, but just loving this endurance side of it. The, you know, the, the harder you could push yourself, the more mentally taxing it was. It just, it really, it, 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 it just made me thrive and, and love being out there to push it. And um, I got involved in all those triathlons and they started with sprints and went all the way up to Ironmans. And I just loved that part of how I could demonstrate myself uh, every day, waking up, just thinking about what was going to be the physical nature of my day. And so May 17th, 2012 hits 
uh, I'm out training for a mountain biking event. It was a huge national mountain bike event that was going to happen that weekend. This was what I called like a, a fine tuner, just kind of like a walkthrough. And so I went out that morning and about two hours into the ride, I go around this sharp 90 degree turn. And all of a sudden I smashed this rock and I find myself somersaulting through the air, kind of this head over heels action, just flying towards the ground. But I say it's the weirdest thing because almost like the matrix, it was this, this speed. I know I'm coming at the ground, but everything is in slow motion. I mean, I could see the leaves falling to my left and my right. I could see the grains of dirt. And then all of a sudden my head's getting closer and closer and then smack. I'd strike the ground, the front part of my head. And when it hit, it jarred my head back. And then it drove my head straight down. It drove my eyes through that all I could see was my knees and then the bike. And then the sky is on top of me. The way I could describe the pain was it felt like someone just lit a match and my body caught on fire. My, my hands, they felt like lightning bolts just blazed out of them. I somersaulted all the way around and I landed flat on that ground and the thud of the ground just jarred my eyes closed. And, and then I just laid there. I laid there, not knowing what happened, not able to move, just laying there. It, it took, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds, but all of a sudden I opened up my eyes and look up at the sky, skies, this beautiful blue sky my body instantly jumps back kind of online and it starts screaming at me. So your reaction is the first thing you're, you're, you think about is just to get up. I mean, you guys like football athletics, you get stunned, you get hit and you just, your natural thing is like, what the hell just happened? You try and get up. And I reach back to try and push myself to, to get off the ground. And I just, I just got stuck there. I, I felt like it, but the only way I could describe it was like, I, I was like suction cup to the ground. So tried to push, tried to push, couldn't figure that out, couldn't get off the ground, start patting myself, you know, trying to figure out what, what happened through the whole process, the millions of thoughts that are going through my head, the, the, the millions of miles an hour that everything is just racing at. And I'm, and I'm going on my chest. I still remember the feeling of touching here, but then touching a little bit lower, you know, touching my upper chest, but then touching a little bit lower. And the feeling when I touched that lower part of my chest was almost like I was touching a desk. Like if you would reach out and touch your desk now, your hands feel the desk, but there, there's nothing coming back. There's nothing coming back. My chest wasn't giving anything back to me. And so at that point, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, freaking out. Like this is, this is, this is something that I've not felt before. The only thing I could associate this with uh, was that old, uh, you know, I don't know if you ever had one, but back in the day, they used to call it a stinger. You know, you know everything was the stinger back in the day. It was like, you get your bell rung. It was just like, hey, got a stinger. He'll be fine. And, and that was the case, though. Like, every time you got these, like, bell rung, your hands were tingling, legs were tingling. And the trainer would come out and just say, just chill. You, you're going to become, you'll be fine. And sure enough, you do. So that's what I thought. It's like, just lay here. I, you know, I got my bell rung. And so I, I laid there and I looked at my watch. And I looked at my watch for well over two minutes. And I, I, when, when my watch struck that two-minute mark, I just knew that, man, I'm not, I'm not walking away from this thing. This is definitely not a stinger. You know, but then the second thought pumps into my head is, 
how the hell are you get out of this? Like you're on some secluded trail in Indiana, like you're can't get out of this. And, and at that point, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. And again, my head is racing to try and just figure out what's going to, what's the next step. And so my, I realized that my phone's in my back pocket, but I reach back to try and grab my phone. And at that point, I realized that my hands aren't working either. I mean, my hands, they felt like mush. They, when I reached into that, that basic bike, you know, it's like a bike, you know, the typical bike jerseys. Um, my phone sat in that back right pocket and I went and reached in there and I could feel the phone, but my hands were, uh, there was just no dexterity, no strength in them. So when they were touching the phone, they could feel it, but they didn't have the strength to pull the phone out or whatever to make the call. So there I am laying on the ground on this secluded trail in Indiana with earbuds in, but no way to actually call to, to get that, to get any help. And so, you know, the, the kicker of this story really comes down to, I end up laying there for over three and a half hours, kind of three and a half hours laying on the ground, just stuck. I mean, stuck to the ground, not knowing what the next, um, what the next part of my life is going to be, you know, would I see my wife again? Would I see my family? Would I ever get out of this situation? You know, but luckily at three and a half hours, uh, two riders came by, they call for help. And then, um, I was airlifted out of there and, and, uh, and that's when really, when the journey really started rolling, that's when it really began. What are thoughts the first couple, couple days? Is it the first couple days to first couple weeks? Is it, you know, just let me get back to where I was, or I just want to be able to walk into a push up, or I'm just grateful to be here. Kind of what, what's the psychology of that process? The process is, you know, it was interesting. It was really interesting for me. And, and I don't really know why, but when the doctors came in, you know, you, everybody, we've watched enough movies. We've had enough of the horror stories of doctors coming in. You'll never walk again. You'll never do it. Like, I mean, we've all seen it. And, and that was my reality. I still remember the doctor coming in and saying he's paralyzed. My wife stood to his left and your, your husband's paralyzed. He's a quadriplegic. He, his hands don't work. His legs don't work. You're going to have to be his caregiver forever. And he was as blunt as that. And I remember thinking like, the fuck does that mean? Like, why, why, how, like, like, all right. I, again, I've seen enough movies. We'll, sh I'll show this guy, but I didn't really have a chip on my shoulder. I wasn't mad at him. I, I just took it as this is what he's going to say, but what can I do next? Like, what is my action that I could have coming up here? And that was my thing is, What's the next step here? And the next step was all I was concerned, concerned about. And that was a time frame. It was, I was in intensive care. I was in intensive care, but then intensive care, the quicker I could get out of that to the hospital, the quicker I could be in the, I can't think of what they called it, but it was just basically a normal hospital setting. And then I could get into rehab. So from there, I just kept working on the little things to get stable. Like, hey, what can I focus on right now? What I can focus on right now is trying to get my breathing right, trying to get myself in a position where I could breathe, I could swallow, I could sit upright because there's a million of things going on. And those little things got me out of the intensive care unit only within four days. And they felt strong enough that I didn't have to go into the actual hospital setting. They admitted me right from uh, intensive care into rehab. And so 
where my mindset was, was just, what can I take care of in the moment? Like I wasn't, I didn't think of, well, can I do a push up or walk? I didn't care about any of that. I didn't care about any of that stuff. I just worried about the moment, like what this moment could offer me that I can make better so that I could add up to the big picture. And that's all that I was able to control because the controllables are only in this present moment. I couldn't look back on the fact that, hey, would, you know, how'd the accident happen? Why me or any of that stuff? I was just very, very fortunate to have the mindset to stick in the moment to say, what can I take control of right now? And all of that in a lot of cases was just my mindset. It was just, hey, get your head out of the gutter and let's work for this and let's do it for the reasons of family and friends and all these different people uh, that are there to help me. Um, but that's kind of been, it's been part of the recipe for success. Have you always had that mindset, gratitude, attitude, optimism, or is that something that shifted, you know, within the last 10 years? I think I became more self-aware of in the last 10 years, but you know, I, I grew up in a family. I, I tell this story a lot, but I, I grew up when I was nine years old, I could travel for the nine and 10 year old all-stars, little league all-stars. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. I am on my way to be the greatest major league baseball player. Me and my four friends show up and um, the end of this two hour uh, tryout, I'm the only one that gets cut. I don't make the team. I never make the team. All my friends do. And, and I remember that moment seeing the signage of everybody that made the team. And then the five of us that didn't and turning and walking off the field. And then uh, my dad met me at the waited at the car and I just unloaded. I mean, I had tears, but I, I'm, I'm giving every excuse of why it's unfair. I'm giving it. And my dad said, he's like, maybe it is, but the reality is, is what is that going to help you with right now? You you've got, the, this moment, maybe you weren't good enough. Maybe you were. But the only thing you can control is your effort now as you move forward. The only thing you can do to, to change this outcome in the future is to control the things right now. And that comes down to practice. That comes down to putting all this energy into something that's going to be productive. And I remember that so distinctly because I went home that day and I threw the ball against the fence. I hit balls. I for the next year of my life, I spent just literally going through everything that I could do to make myself better. And sure enough is the next year I had a better outcome. And that recipe there of literally you could get mad at stuff that happened in the past. You could hope for the future, but if you don't take care of the right now, it just, you missed the big picture of it. And within the present moment, I learned to have a lot of gratitude for the things that I had, the ability to have uh, parents next to me, the, the ability to have the, the privilege to, to throw a baseball and actually practice. It was just something that started at a young age. And I think it got cultivated over the time, but I don't think it was until the accident that my whole entire mindset was shifted from physically moving and just go, 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 go to like, hey, life is paused for you physically. Now you got to shift into a more mental side of it. And I start getting more in touch of, hey, how do you get through these things? How did you get, how did you become an all-star um, when you came back? How did you get through some of the struggles that you had growing up? How did you, you know, my dad died when I was 16. Before, I didn't really think about how I got through it. I just got through it. But when life stopped on May 17th and everything zeroed out for me, I had a really deep dive into who I am, 
and how I got through those things so that I could get through probably the biggest challenge of my life. I want to get into the strength and conditioning stuff and, and we will. Um, your story is just so fascinating. And I think it's so important that, you know, you, you get the opportunity to share all the details. And um, there are just a couple more things that I want to ask about before we, you know, get into the training side. Um, we have been talking since, you know, re really like the, the COVID stuff is, is what made us, James and I were running live workouts through Instagram and, and Facebook and things like that. And, and we would always say at the end, you know, continue to practice gratitude. Just one of those things where it, it may seem like this is the worst day of your life, continue to practice gratitude. And I've got it right here. I, I recently got the gratitude journal on oh, Amazon, yeah. which is just, and, and we messaged about it a little bit, which is just, you know, four minutes in the morning, two minutes in the evening, just write down what you're grateful for, what can make today great. And then at the end of the day, it's, you know, kind of what, what did you, what did you do? What were some mistakes you made and all this kind of stuff. And, and I think it is just so powerful. Um, and it's something that I bring up often in the weight room. So I want to know coach from your perspective, how are you able to take what you just said and put it into words for athletes to be able to recognize and understand and then implement in their everyday training and, and everyday life. Yeah. So gratitude for me is, uh, it's, um, it's, it's a mindset, mindset shift. It's a focus. Like for me, having gratitude is looking at what I have in life. And that causes me to focus on what I have in life. And when I feel grateful for all these pieces that I have, it just creates positivity. And I just think the world, I, the world revolves a lot, a lot better when the, the world is going with, with positivity compared to negativity. It works a lot better when people are optimistic compared to being pessimistic. And I think it all stems from, from gratitude, but gratitude is looking at what you have. So athletes, I talk about this a lot with soccer players. Don't come in and tell me the 50 different things that aren't going right in your life. Don't tell me all the little things that aren't going uh, perfect in your life or you wish you had or, or any of these things. Think about what you do have in life and let's build off of them, right? We, we are very, very fortunate in the fact of so many things we have, but we're always wanting, wanting, wanting more. And so that gratitude piece is really crucial. But like I said, it's a, it's a shift in our focus. And I, and I like to think of it in a way of, a, of an analogy of uh, when you go and buy a new anything. So if you've maybe you've had this happen to you. So you're going to buy a new car, you're going to buy a new pair of shoes, any of these things, you're picking out, you're customizing it. You're going to pick the color of the car. You're going to pick the, the new interior. You're going to have this thing decked out. This is, this is your car. And the second you drive it off a lot, you look to the right and all of a sudden you see your car, you see the exact same thing. You're like, how, how the hell did that happen? And you drive yeah. down the road, you see your car again. And this happens with shoes and anything. And this happens all the time. And it's not that everybody's gone out and bought your car. The thing is, is that your focus now is on that. Your focus is on this kind of car. So you start seeing it in the world. For me, that's what gratitude is. That's what positivity is. That's what it, the world is, what the world is. It's how we choose, choose to see the world. Do we see the world positively? Do we have gratitude for what we have? Or do we see the world negatively and not ever give recognition to what we have and the, the fortunate opportunities and what we have in life? Because that is all in front of us. It's just a matter of us being able to see it. So athletes, when you come in the world room, be grateful you get to have this Adidas on. Be grateful for being at IU. 
yes, you didn't start in the last game, but what can you can control? What are the things that you have right now that you can build that positivity off and move forward and get better and make the whole picture gain the things that you actually want to be? Now, you know, being in coaching for a while and, and CT, you can attest to this is, you know, we, we get to work with teams, of athletes, and, and, you know, we see these archetypal personalities um, and we have that group of just super positive athletes that we kind of gravitate towards that are fun to be around. And, and we put a little bit more effort uh, in, into that, maybe unintentionally. And then you have the other group of athletes kind of in the middle. And then you have some of those negative Nancy's um, that just always seem to, um, you know, be highlighting. Um, what's going wrong just kind of like like you were saying you know with some of your soccer players you've experienced with and you know as as a young coach I used to think that like let me just like hey man what's going well and they're like I know what you're doing here you're not going to get me to be positive Uh, don't even try Um, you know what are some things that you have seen that kind of even just open up that opportunity to have those conversations about gratitude Uh, because I've done it the wrong way where I say hey man we got to be grateful um, you know, and, and maybe that was me not operating, you know, from a, a place of gratitude. Um, but what are some of those things that we can start to do to, to break that barrier down um, before the athlete starts to think that you're trying to play with my mind, dude? I don't want any of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it all starts with relationship, relationship building. So I think it's, no matter what, if you ever say, hey, you should earn yourself a million bucks or you should put a smile on or you should allow me to buy you an ice cream it's almost like as soon as you say you should it it, everybody puts up walls and they don't want to listen to anything you have to say but I think what's always worked for me is is you know a soccer team comes in again you're having 30 some guys you're not going to get all positive you're not going to you're always going to have negative Nancy in there but the number one thing that we do every single time is they when they come in here they come in here and I get to know them I get to just learn who they are as people, you know, what their likes are, what their upbringing was, how, you know, their, their, their things, the way they view the world. And sometimes it's crazy, but sometimes just by that simple conversation, I understand where the negative Nancy comes from. It wasn't just, they didn't, they almost didn't choose to be it that way. It's just, that's what they were brought up and they don't know any other way. So they don't know the way. So my thing is, is like, well, let me show them the way, but I'm not going to tell them I'm going to show them the way. I'm just going to show them how I am. I'm going to show how I am. I'm going to show them how I try to create the culture that's around us, how we talk to one another. I'm just going to try and demo the way I think the world should be or the way that I think uh, we are going to get a lot better at. And, and, and by that, it's really helped me to create a culture of 30-some guys that when they come in, even, as, even young guys as freshmen, that the world is – the world is crap and we have this and that they can't help but get gobbled up in the in the in that structure of gratitude and positivity or the ones that don't they unfortunately don't make it and but I, I i do believe that you can't save everybody but i do think that there is the majority when you could demonstrate what you're trying to say when you can create that environment and you have the fortunate um idea that there's a a group of people around you that you could help them to kind of reiterate and, and to really demonstrate what you're trying to do, man, I think it's just become so powerful, but it never starts with telling someone they should do something. It always starts with learning who they are, understanding where they're getting their, where this whole behavior has come and then showing them what we do, showing them how we talk, showing them how, Hey, when you step through the door, I'm not 
you step through the door angry and a minute late. I'm not mad at you, but there's also a, there's going to be a penalty for that because that doesn't help us out as a whole, as a collective. And it doesn't always go over well, but the majority of times it does. Yeah. And I think that's a good point that me and CT talk a, a lot about, you know, is uh, we can't, you know, save everybody, I guess, in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have a saying for it is like, I'm not going to be mad at a red crayon for being red. Um, right. But it, but at the same time, um, holding to my expectations for that group um, and understanding that, you know, we don't live in, in a, you know, perfect world in terms of getting like hundred percent effort out of all our kids. But I think the one thing as I got older, I held on to those sessions less in terms of letting it affect me later throughout the day. Um, Have you seen that as you've moved up into, you know, the position that you're in now as the uh, training director with other strength coaches that you're working with, um, you know, you put 15 strength coaches in a room and you ask them to write a program. There's not going to be one, one of those programs that would be the same and everybody's is the best. Um, How have you kind of used those lessons to help you navigate you know, your role as a director working in, in conjunction with a lot of, you know, highly talented, probably highly intelligent strength coaches that, that you surround yourself with? Yeah, that's a great question. And I believe in when you, when you allow people to take ownership in their programs, in their creativity, when you allow them to be creative and allow them to jump into their process of designing that program, uh, actually having the interaction with the coach, being able to actually have some time where they're going to fail. They're the prime example. We're, we're in the middle of right now of having, um, we have a handful of new strength coaches. We have been consistent for years of not really hiring any new strength coaches. We just have a good retention rate here. Uh, but we had a lot of guys, one guy went to Alabama. We had guys go to the Baltimore Orioles. It's been awesome where they've gone, but nonetheless, we have new people. And so as their director now, I allow them to sit down with the coaches. I allow them to take their knowledge. They, we hire them because they're pros. And I allow them to sit down and actually go through and design uh, the program. Now, what I do do is I try to give as much knowledge as I can into the program. But I would rather let them fail at a bad mistake or a bad approach on that X's and O's, uh, even though I told them maybe they should change it then sit there and make them change it and have them not take that experience for themselves. Because in, in the macro part of all of this, you can't do anything unless you harm an athlete, which most of our stuff, if you have any common sense, you can, you, you're not going to harm the athlete. It's just maybe there's better ways to X's and O's and pro- program. But in the macro of programming, one little block, one little week or one little phase even isn't that detrimental and so them learning what that mistake is because they goofed up I believe is an incredible way that they'll learn and they'll change and they'll buy into the overall philosophy of the big picture the culture that we're trying to create I know I noticed that that is in our in our young strength coaches to, to the point that you just made our young strength coaches go through so much of um, all the time into the x's and o's and thinking they have all the solutions Um, Our older strength coaches that have been around for a while spend so much time in the building relationships, uh, more so than so much of the programming aspects to it. All of it blends together and we all still learn off of one another because those young strength coaches are learning from the, from, from us oldies, we'll call it the gray, the gray haired people. Um, They're learning more about, you're holding on there. It's coming. Yeah, you got a little bit. A little bit. Um, 
they're learning more of the relationships part, but I do got to say uh, with some of the stuff that they bring in here, the X's and O's wise, I learn a whole bunch from it, but all of it becomes organic. All of it is just becoming this uh, incredible environment that you're not judged on. You're not, you're not critiqued on. If you screw up, I'm not even mad at you. It's just, Hey, let's figure it out. Let's make it better on there. Uh, but with that being said, it allows people to to try something and fail and know that they don't have the hammer that's going to get dropped on them. And with with both sides of that, it allows, I think, for a great environment for growth. And I, at the end of the day, that's what we're all trying to do is just grow to get better, you know, physically, mentally, um, emotionally, just being able to actually get ourselves better each and every day um, is so important. And that comes from being able to be in environments and around people that are there to help each other and not judge and just keep um, supporting. Tom, you made such a great point that I want to echo real quick. You said the younger coaches focus on the X's and O's and the sets and reps and the numbers and what all these look like and the maxes and the, all this. And the, the older tenured coaches work on relationships. And I think that is something that is for some reason and somewhere along the line of teaching strength and conditioning as a major or reading the books or going through all this stuff. I think they missed that huge part of training is the relationship building and the communication. And, you know, how, how are you able to talk to individuals with, when you're on the weight room? Because we get young coaches and interns who come out and that's the first thing. Oh, tell me about this program. Tell me about this program. Well, it's like, well, that doesn't really matter because this is, you know, wherever we're at in the year and they play at this time, or they just had a game yesterday or they play tomorrow or yeah. they, you know, all this kind of like, that doesn't matter. What matters is this athlete continues to come in and be consistent and intentional because he knows that the individual who is running a session cares about him yep. and wants, and wants the best for them. And, and I don't know why, but I feel like that's missing somewhere. Cause I, cause I missed that day in school where they, yeah. where they said that, you know? Well, I mean, and this, this is a, uh, this is a topic that we could take the whole podcast on because this is something that I think the whole system of teaching is as missed you know from the colleges to all this everything really comes down to a lot of objectively based uh, answers it's like do this this and this and then you'll get this and it's all based off the science and everything but philosophically it's tough everything you just said how do you build a relationship how do you get buy-in how do you do it it's a very subjective way of me- how do you measure that like the the measurement tool is really hard to do so it's a lot harder to go and teach that and actually quantify that. So I think personally that when we're learning how to be a strength coach, it's a lot easier to find out, like take a test on, you know, what, you know, act in myosin and how the body works and all the physiological things that are happening to it. It's just easier to be able to do that because you could say yes or no, but Hey, did you get Jimmy to actually run through a wall for you? Did you like, how did you, that's, that's pretty hard to do. It's hard to quantify. And so I don't think you realize that until you all of a sudden you get in and become a practitioner. And then when you become a practitioner and you realize you just had the greatest program, but for whatever reason, Jimmy's not listening to you and not getting any better, even though that's grounded in science and this should be working, but you can't get the effort out of them. And, and then you start realizing what it's all about. And that's why I think that the longer you spend in the, you get, you need schooling hundred percent. You need to know that basic stuff, but you need to get your ass into a weight room. You need to get your, you, you need to get around people. If you can't get around people, you'll never be a coach. And all of this stuff, it, it's not rocket science. It's good science. 
but it's science that can easily be um, misconstrued or not. It could work or not work. Even the bad science stuff could actually work if you have someone that actually could sell it and make it progress. You know, it's just it's just an amazing tool. But the the really the the caveat of all of this is making sure that you could sell it. It's the the coaching aspect of it. And I, I think maybe part of the struggle too, because it is, you know, coming mostly from the younger coaches or coaches that are coming over maybe from a different facility and, and, you know, different work experience. And then, you know, the environment they're in now um, does things a little differently pro programming wise uh, or exercise selection wise. Um, in, in a sense, it's um, when we're emphasizing relationships, buy-in, being able to communicate with coaches as well as the athletes, like we're not devaluing the X's and O's that we were taught. Um, but as soon as we start getting into those conversations, it's, it's similar to like our defenses are going up because we're told we're we're being told that like, hey, let's focus on, you know, the the more, um, you know, being able to show empathy and being able to like actually have deep conversations with, with your athletes, um, but still providing good, you know, strength and conditioning. Like we're in a sense devaluing their previous experience with what they've invested a lot of time in research and, and they would love to dive into to being able to spend more time with with that, you know, programming aspect, because that is, you know, their analytical brain being more comfortable as opposed to tapping into something that might not be always as, as comfortable, which is, you know, sometimes developing those relationships. And, and a lot of times we see strength coaches coming from athletic backgrounds where they were a weight room guy. Um, where they excelled in the weight room and showed the analytics from their growth in the weight room. But there's like a disconnect between what happens there with those analytics, with like the actual statistics of how many snaps are we getting? How many tackles are we making? How are we performing yeah. on the field? And we're not able to bridge that gap because we can't be honest with ourselves sometimes with what got us to either have success or, or lack of success on the field. Um, you know, I think there's kind of, um, you know, a trend at least from the people that we've been talking to, and at least in the, in the company culture that we're, um, you know, trying to, to influence the young coaches that we're getting, there is a trend that it's, it's more okay to talk about some of these things. And, and people like Brett B are out there, um, you know, speaking on the, the communication aspect of sport. Um, is there anything that you do intentionally as you're getting coaches into your program um, to kind of expedite that process? Or is that a process that it, it's just going to take the time it takes to actually build a relationship with the coach, similar to you building that with the athlete? Yeah, there's nothing intended. You know, there's one thing that I always, so there's one thing that I was told as a young strength coach uh, by one of our, one of our great coaches here, Jerry Yegley, uh, one of the all-time winningest soccer pro coaches in the country. And, and he said, he's like, if an athlete ever comes to the door, and not even an athlete, but a person, if a person comes to the door, you stop whatever you're doing and you have that conversation. No matter how important it is, no matter, it does not matter. You have that conversation. And that's one thing that I make sure that all of our coaches are, are aware of. That's one thing that's a non-negotiable. Like someone comes at a door, you stop what you're doing and we're going to have a conversation on it. And the reason I say that is, is because I think the more conversations you could have, the more time you could sit in front of an athlete when an athlete you know, sits in front of you, expresses something that isn't on a, it's not on a workout sheet. It's not on, on any of that. It's, it's, it's something that's going on in their life. You, you start realizing that intimacy, that, that, that part of maybe that you never had to deal with when you're an intern or, or, or whatever your, your, uh, your schooling was, you start realizing 
what that where that connection could kind of grow from and that is one thing that i would say is it's not intentional but there's it's just a non-negotiable for us is someone comes to your door they come in and they're number one the athlete the the other coach the 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 other person you're working with because what i want you to do is have as many many talks as many um, conversations as you can and then from there again i guess i would fall back on it the same way uh, in all of our staff meetings we talk about gratitude we talk about positivity we talk about empathy and i talk about it in a way that is hopefully just normal like it's not it's nothing big it's just part of how we coach it's just it's part of something that we all keep instilling uh, the older coaches that are around you know we're about half and half we have a half young half old uh, the more that they talk about it it just becomes of the, the way that Indiana Hoosiers do things. We treat people with empathy. We treat people as humans. We don't sit there and spend a million hours talking about all the intricate details of a, of a hang snatch, uh, even though it is important. It's hugely important, but let's not just put everything into that and forget, hey, who's Colin as the, as the athlete? Was he off a little today? Was, was there something? Because that conversation should overwhelm the fact that doesn't look like he's really punching underneath that 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 snatch so so again there's just some things that maybe we don't do intentional but that are fortunately uh non-negotiables and built into the culture that we're all trying to create here one thing that i think makes and i and i say this all the time so he's probably sick of hearing it but one thing that i think makes james such an elite coach and a high level performer is that he knows everybody's name that he's worked with the last nine, 10, 11 years. I mean, he'll have, he'll have the sister of a former athlete come in and he will know the sister's name and he'll know the, the new athlete who comes in on this. And I mean, it's one of those things that I, every time it happens, I make these mental notes because I'm trying to be that too. I'm trying to check those boxes. I'm trying to make sure, no, but he's just become so good at it. And then no wonder you look at retention rates as a, as a trainer, as a performance coach. It's like these kids can work with these kids and these, elite elite nfl players yep. can work with anybody in the planet they come back to cleveland ohio to work with james dibiasio because he cares so much about the individuals and he's so good at that and and i think that is another part that is seriously lacking in our in our field well and that's the bread and butter like james that's that i'm telling you that i fortunately i'm able to you know get to spend a lot of times with these big ceos of fortune 500 companies and stuff and and they're the greats they're the greats. They're the greats that can literally, no matter who you're going down the hallway. You're, I have a friend. Do you remember Greg Fox CT? You remember? Sounds familiar. So he was an orthopedic Fox. surgeon for us. Yeah, he was yeah, our orthopedic yeah, yeah. surgeon back in the day. Uh, he has since uh, built surgery centers, sold them for like, I mean, I'm talking the B word. I mean, billion. So it's it's incredible what he's been able to do. But that guy, as a high achieve, high high performer we've traveled with them. We've been around. I've been in a lot of his, his businesses. It doesn't matter where he's at. It doesn't matter who he's around. If they're the people that work in his organization, if they're the people that he travels with, he knows who they are. He knows their family. He knows where they live. He knows all these different parts of them. And it doesn't matter if you're the custodian or another surgeon, he knows them. And when they, when he walks down the hallway, they come up to him and will shake his hand no matter what. I mean, that is such, that is how you get people to want to be around you and want to run through walls. I mean, that, if there is a tangible, if there's something that we can just tell someone to spend so much time in, 
It's that. It's that part because all of this, X's and O's mean nothing if you don't have that relationship piece. And that relationship piece of knowing a name, knowing the, the background, knowing who people are. God, I can't show more excitement about how important it is. And it's no surprise. You know, we, I don't, I mean, I'm going down a rabbit hole now, but um, do you, do we know Joel Seidman? Do you ever see Dr. Joel Seidman? Of course. Of course. Now, Joel is an intern of ours and he is completely uh, X's and O's wise. I, that, I don't, I don't know. He's a bit out there, right? <laughs> I mean, it's an understatement, but, but I gotta tell you as a, as an athlete here, cause I think he was already gone by the time. Did you ever meet him CT? No. So he's, uh, he was at Indiana or is it? Yeah. Indiana? Yeah. Yeah. So he was at Indiana in 05 to 06, I think. Um, wow. 06 to 07, I think it was. Yeah. I mean, I would have been, I would have been there, but he, he wasn't the seedman he is now. Well, he, then, he, was he? No, 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 no. He was just getting his master's and I think he got his, went to Georgia for his doctorate. But, uh, but what I will say, he's, he's got a whole bunch of crazy stuff. I get it. I, <laughs> but every one of his athletes, even when he was here, I mean, they just absolutely loved them. And he knew not only their name, he knew their families, he knew where they were brought up. And he was just an intern of ours. I mean, he literally took this upon himself to do it. Um, he went off to Georgia the first year he left us. He was the only person I've ever had that I had, the, I had the entire soccer team when they came up the next year. They're like, where's Joel? Like, was Joel not with us anymore? And since then, I know a bunch of his pro athletes that he deals with. They say number one thing is like, yeah, the workouts are awesome. But Joel, as a person, he just knows people. And I, and I don't, I, I just don't think it's fake. I think Joel literally buys in. And that's what people love. They, they may love holding a squatting with a frigging trap bar on. I don't, <laughs> I why, I, I, I don't get right. it. Like, I, I don't get it. I don't know why. It doesn't matter because they'll do that because they, they believe in how he presents it in a way that he is really authentic. And, and I think that no matter what, you could be, I don't want to, I don't want to stay. I wouldn't train the way he does, but nonetheless, I think you could still have great success with what he does. Uh, but it's his personality. It's his buy-in that he's getting from so many people. And it comes down to the, the dude cares. The dude generally cares about the people he's training and how he's going to move forward. And I just think that is so, so important that I cannot over overemphasize enough um, to anybody, strength coaches slash um slash anybody, I don't care where you're at. It's, it's about people and, and really showing love and, and compassion and just being invested in them. Man, I'm so bummed I, I missed him because I would have been there. I think I was just so focused on trying to play my sport and I wasn't very good at my sport yet. So I, you know, it was one of those things I was, I was very dialed in. Um, I played for coach Bill Lynch my last couple of years at Indiana and he was the same way. And I, I remember thinking when he was walking through the hallways and saying hello and asking me about my mom and my sister. And I remember thinking, Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. And yeah. that's about as, as, you know, as, as deep as it got. And then senior kind of after senior day, after the season, we had, you know, we came up and gave speeches in front of the team and families and excuse me, family and friends. And one of our equipment managers, our assistant equipment managers, was up there talking about it. And he was in tears explaining how much that meant to him. And then that's when it switched on for me. I thought, you know, I, I was thinking, Oh, it, he must be saying it to me because I'm one of his players, whatever. He was like that with everybody. And that was so powerful that it, it brought this gentleman to tears. Yep. And that's, I think when I, when I started to think, Oh, there might be something, there might actually be something behind this 
relationship building, friendship building. Cause I've ran into it multiple times in the last 10 years in the same way. Oh my gosh, CT, what's going on? How's your family? How's are you still playing football? I mean, and it's just so cool. Um, yeah. but that's, you know, that, that takes time. That takes time. It takes, and it takes intentional effort. It, you nailed it right there. It's in, it's intentional effort. It's a skill set built. I mean, that's, that's harder than trying to bench 400 pounds. I mean, <laughs> the skill set to try and bench 400 pounds is one thing, but to be able to shake hands with somebody, to focus enough to hear the name and absorb that name and then keep building off of that relationship piece and, and actually be able to carry that on for, for a lifetime. I mean, that, that's, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's an unbelievable skill to have, but I've never met anybody that's just natural at it. They're just so intentional when they actually meet you and you say, Hey, I'm John. And they go like, say that again, you're John. And they'll, they could they, but they, they want to know who you are. And, you know, I, I just think that that's such an incredible, valuable tool that, um, you know, again, James, you, you're, you're doing what you're doing now, but I'm telling you this process, my brother uh, was a strength coach forever played at uh, played football and then became a strength coach. Um, now he's in uh, sales prosthetics uh, for, for a big company he makes a killing. It's all relationships. He said, all these doctors, like it's all relationship building. It's being a good person. You still got to be competent. You still, you know, obviously we know we talked about, we got to know your X's and O's. You got to know your stuff that he's got to know his stuff, but it's that relationship piece that you could really, you could really, really, really soar if you can nail that. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is being intentional until it's like a habit. And then it's just what you do, just like you were right. speaking on, on your culture. Um, and then once you start being able to take a third person view and almost like watch yourself operate, um, then you can add layers to that to even get in like deeper with athletes and be more intentional in the weight room. And, and like one thing that I'll talk to young coaches about is like, hey, why like, do you know why I shout across the weight room like to coach a kid? No, I want to call out his name from 30 feet away just so he knows I'm watching it. Cause I'm not always like, I'm not going to shout like, Oh, keep that bar tighter, you know, from 30 feet away. I'm going to say, Hey, good rep, good rep, John. Yep. Um, and, and it's just so he knows I'm watching him, even if I'm not standing right next to him. Um, so true. And, and there's so many little things like that, that we can, we can do once we stop worrying about what we're putting on paper, because we've already trusted that we've put that intentional work in at a different point in our career. And also like, the, the high performers, we're going to continue to learn because it's what we enjoy doing. And in, like, I would much rather listen to um, just fly podcasts than a podcast about some business topic that I'm trying to understand that I'm banging my head against the wall to. Um, Cause that's just our nature. Right. It's true. It's so true. Coach, if somebody asks, ask you, and, and I'm sure you get all the time, you know, what's going on in the Indian, Indiana University weight room? What's happening out there in Bloomington? Because, you know, sports are getting better. Athletes are getting better, starting to get picked, starting to get drafted, starting to play at these high levels. Um, I, I have athletes of my own who I, who I work with in gyms. Like, man, I, I can't imagine what it would be like in a D1 weight room, in a Big, in a big Ten weight room. They found out I played football in Indiana. It's, oh, what was the weight room culture? What would that look like? And these are again, kind of back to James's point, these kind of the weight room guys, the weight room warriors, right? Yeah. How would you explain to somebody the, the culture and the energy of what happens there in, in Bloomington in the weight room? Yeah, it's high. It's awesome. I mean, so, so picture, we've got a 25,000 square foot weight room. We were talking beforehand. At one point, this was one of the biggest weight rooms in the country. And so, you know, when you think about it, it's, it's 120 yards long. 
it's roughly uh, one and a half uh, basketball courts deep. And um, it's big. I mean, $4 million worth of equipment. We've got everything that you could possibly imagine. But what's cool about it, uh, which I love, and it's very unique to the rest of the places in the country, is we train 20, 23 sports out of here. So everybody, the only one that's maybe a little bit, in, they're, all, they're over here, but not all the time, is men's basketball. But every other sport trains out of this place. And so you have football in here. You have all the different sports in here. As coaches, we could be incredible coaches, but we will never be close to what teammates or peers are as far as motivators. And so when you enter into the Indiana weight room, you're coming into a place where the music is jamming, the energy is high. You're, you have 15 strength coaches on the floor rolling, but you've got this assortment of women's volleyball players, football players, volley or, uh, uh, women's basketball players, tennis, golf, soccer players, all intermixing, all working together, all intentional in effort, in movement, and all with the common theme of just getting better, just getting working harder, putting one foot in front of the rest, in, in front of each other, and working to get better. And we just feed off it. The the energy is um, this is the best in the country. I'm telling you, just because of that assortment, that that co-ed approach, that that overall different sport approach, it brings a lot out and it's it's really neat to see when it's in action and when it's in action on a football player squatting 400 for a certain amount and a baseball player going i'll do that and then they jump in and then they start and before you know it it's back and forth and it's it's a really incredible environment with that uh also in here you know there's been a big shift and we do want to talk x's and those just briefly uh there's a big shift in how we train anymore 315 for five before we jump up a percentage point, we, we, would, we would move forward. We'd progress with it. Now, we do the same thing, but everything now, we have a, we have a product called the Elite Form. Um, elite Form is just a basic way to, to, to measure velocity. So what we have found with a lot of the new research is, is uh, there is an optimal amount of speed for different phases that we're trying to create. So a hypertrophy phase to different uh, – you, you, any kind of uh, maximal velocity stuff. What we end up finding is, is that certain speeds that we move a bar at will dictate what we're actually getting out of the overall uh, weights that we're moving. And what I mean is that if we can do 315 for five, but you move them at too slow of a weight, even though we're trying to create a different outcome, well, now we're not bumping you up where before we checked the box, you got the weight, now we moved you up. But what we end up finding is that all of those weights or all that, that, that programming wasn't crossing over onto the field. It wasn't crossing over onto the court. And what we found is that by being able to dial in the velocities a lot more and making better adjustments as we better progressions, we have found a much better crossover into the world of uh, the actual sports they're playing. And it's been really, really special for us because it was new for us four or five years ago. And then when we start really working with it and seeing a full group, a freshman group, go through into their seniors and seeing what that looked like. And you've seen this before. So now seeing it go through with a, a more of a velocity-based program, uh, it's made it, it's made a significant imp- difference, impact on the overall level of play that's happening on the fields and courts and, and everything else. 
Yeah, we had nothing like that. That is so that's so cool to be able to hear. It's, I mean, we have cameras on every single platform. So you not only squat 315 now, and you get your velocity measured, your 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 uh, biomechanics uh, measured, your mechanics measured, but you're actually getting all of this on video. So you can literally go back and just look and see what that's that that looks like. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible what uh, we've been able to do as far as the techno technology uh, part. James, now you don't have to get your phone out and flip it around and video yourself doing power cleans. Now right. you can just screen record from the from the screen. What, Tom, is that is that the future? Is that where training is going? Is that going to be in? Is VBT going to be in every weight room? What, where do you see that going? You know, I, I, yes, I think technology. I'm going to classify it as that. I think there's always uh, we there's a lot of success with VBT. Um, the, there is right now. I, but as far as the future, I don't know. I mean, things change so fast here. It's crazy. I mean, like you said, we, back in the day, we did a lot of, uh, we did a lot of the machine-based stuff. And then we got went back into more, we actually had a little powerlifting phase. And then a lot of the coaches we had in here did a lot more Olympic lifting phases. Now we're not doing as much Olympic lifting, but we're doing a lot of um, single leg movements in here, all based off of velocity. And so I think everything kind of, uh, you know, I don't know if this will, I don't know if it's a, a cycle right now, but I do know things change so darn fast that it's whatever you're doing, it's doing it at a hundred percent. And I, and I do know that there's a lot of success that is coming from, from the velocity based training uh, systems. But I tell you, this field is changing so fast and there's so many things that evolve that I wouldn't want to say it's the future, but I do know that it does seem pretty promising as far as the outcomes that we're, we're creating. And, and I would say that there's a lot of crossover if you kind of look at the you know professional baseball world and how they've adopted technology over the last decade. Um, and, and I had the opportunity to go to Nashville at, at, at um, a clinic called Pitchapalooza, and, and they had a really good uh, speaker talking about how technology can really enhance our coaching tools. But at, at the base level of all of that is the language of coaching. And if we don't understand, and it always goes back to this, if we don't understand how to communicate what that data and what the, the technology pieces play into what we're doing, um, it really won't have as profound of effect if we're trying to lean on the technology as a crutch, as opposed to just another tool that we can sharpen and access and, and, and use um, if, if we neglect the base level of, of the language that, that we're using to, to coach and communicate with. Um, and, and I think that um, there's also a time and a place and the impact at, at a, a university that's that's operating at such a high level like IU versus implementing that in a middle school weight room, <laughs> you know, so I think like sometimes people lose the context of, of where they see this technology being used and they love to nerd yep. out on it, not realizing that they're talking to a 12 year old who is more excited about having two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches today because the mom <laughs> packed right. uh, an extra sandwich for them. Yeah, one hundred percent. I don't think I don't think anybody could say it better than the way you just said it because that's at the end of the day, it's it's all of this stuff. You could have everything that you want if you can't relay it, if you can't speak it, if you if you can't relay that to the athletes and the coaches, it it's all it it actually is more of a detriment than it is as a, a, a positive. So yeah, you definitely need that, and you're so right. I mean, right now, young kids, getting them through basic strength training is so much more important. Getting them through a full range of motion, getting them just excited about lifting and training is way more important than knowing if they're going 0 .06, 0 .06 milliseconds on a squat than, 
you know, it's, 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 yeah, know your audience, know the people that you're around, know your clientele, uh, because that's where it's so, so important. But you're, but the other point is, is that, yeah, we're at the, we're at that, even to the mat, even to the fact that it's such a great point that you made because 18 year olds that come to us, you know, still it's, it's better than it was, but 18 years, 18 year olds that come to us are still very amateur at their strength training experience. They don't come in with a lot of experience. So you're still teaching them the basics. You can't have them chasing a number on a velocity uh, when you don't even have the skill set down. You can't have them just chasing numbers to try and produce them when they aren't, they physically aren't able to even train at that level yet. So it's knowing the clientele to get that. If they're 18 years old and they have never trained, their training age is zero. You can't worry about a number up on a screen. You got to worry about a range of motion and a technique and building off of that before you start trying to throw them with different velocities and all these other um, pieces of technology uh, to try and enhance their program. Gosh, that's a great point. It's you're, you're not going to get the same response out of it from a kid who hasn't done anything as somebody who's done it for 10 years. Right. And maybe they're both 18 years old and it's like, why aren't I doing that? Why can't I do that? Well, you didn't put, you know, 10 years of hard work in. And we had, we were having a text conversation, coach, coach Tom and I were, and I put this in our, in our notes to talk about he said, and then after this, I said, man, I might have to get this tattooed. He said, at the end of the day, all the technology and blinking lights will never take place of good old fashioned hard work. And that's coming from a guy who sees all of these blinking lights and who sees all the, you know, the, the screens and all, I mean, you know, all this kind of stuff we've talked about and this huge weight room and he's got everything, but ultimately you're not going to get any physical response, emotional, mental, psychological response from training. If you don't have tons and tons and tons of hours and days and weeks and months and years of of good old fashioned hard work. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's hours and effort, hours and effort. It's that, that time, that effort, that intentional effort. It's the progression on there. All these blinking lights do is maybe help give the, a better progression. But if you're not progressing, you're not working hard. And the old John Wooden saying, it's you're mistaking activity for achievement. And that's, and that's, that's what it comes down to. And that's what, we, what we're doing is we use these to enhance our program, but we're, they're never a crutch of, hey, this is you know, the blinking light says this, but we know it's. These things help us. They help us kind of objectify some of our, our different ways to measure them, uh, measure different uh, you know, exercises or different conditioning sessions. I mean, that's one thing that's wonderful about the, uh, even the polar stuff, uh, the, any of the heart rate monitors or the catapult systems, being able to measure that stuff. That's a, that's a, that's a great thing because now we're able to quantify some of the stuff that is, is happening physiologically or even being able to pull a GPS and knowing the overall mileage that's on, on the legs of a midfielder uh, that just ran for 90 minutes. And so being able to do that is really special, but it also isn't going to be a crutch for us. It also isn't going to be a thing that's going to replace the coach's eye or, or the fact that you better get out there and bust your butt and not worry about, Oh, your heart rate's up in the red zone right now. Let's pull them. No, no, no. We, so we we're, we're still very intentional with that. Man, hour and 15 minutes into it and, and so many more things are coming up. So I will, I will try to wrap it up. Uh, we ask all the time people who, again, we mentioned high performers, people are who, who are in the industry, who people see thousands and thousands of reps and thousands of athletes and tons of different coaches and tons of different levels of coaches. I want to ask you, coach, to, to wrap this up. What do you think we 
as people in the strength and conditioning field are missing the mark on. And we, you know, might've just talked an hour on it. Um, but where do you think we can improve to make the biggest gains that we are currently missing? Yeah. I mean, I will go back to, uh, you know, I don't think it's the, as an industry, I don't think we, there's nothing that is, that, that is across the industry. I think different parts of it, different experience levels uh, hit where my, I'm going to go with this. And that still comes down to, it's that human connection. It's the relationship part of, of everything. I, I think that just by the last hour and 15 of talking to you two, I would say that you two get it. Like you two would be two people that I'd love to work side by side with and, and, and arm in arm with, because at the end of the day, it's, it's about the human part of training another human. It's not all the blinking lights. It's not all the, the wonderful X's and O's. It's, they're, they're really, really important. And we got to be incredible practitioners. We got to be incredible clin clinicians, clinicians, clinicians. Wasn't rolling off my tongue quite right, but you know what I mean? Uh, we we got to be that. But at the end of the day, we got to be, we, we got to be building relationships. We got to be able to spend the time with people to get them to know, you know, let them figure out who they are, let them, you know, be vulnerable enough to let them know who we are. I mean, that's another part of it is, is being able to come in here and, you know, I'm not going to spill the beans on my whole entire life, but I am going to tell them some stuff about my story, my personal journey. I'm going to put stuff out on social media that shows me maybe in some vulnerable spots, because I do think it's important for people to see us as humans and not just coaches or all this stuff. They need to see that human because there's a better connection there. And when that connection happens, man, you could get people. It doesn't matter if you could just have push-ups and body weight squats. You could get someone better by all of that stuff but you got to get them to believe in who you are as a person. And as I said, I don't think it's something that the entire, everything's missing, but I do know that we have a lot of young people that have gotten into the field. This is exciting times. And I think that they're, they're very much, they're coming in there as the, you know, spending a lot of time with X's and O's and maybe that relationship piece is maybe getting pushed back a little bit. Yeah, that's, awesome we last point before we ask you where we can we can get in touch with you and where we can find you we had our intern at the school i'm at right now first couple of days said you know what are you trying to get out of the warm-up what do you you know what do you want and i i said when you know we want to raise their heart rate we want to get their tissues ready for the for the demand that we're putting on you know in the weight room blah 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 and then i said um and then i want to make sure they they get in the weight room with a smile or they're laughing and he was like what like what do you mean and i, and I said that's probably even more important than the other stuff right yeah. it's like do you want her to come back do you want them to enjoy their experience? Do you want them to train with you more than once? Yeah, yep. I do. Okay, well, make sure they're laughing about something. Make sure you're making fun of yourself. Make sure you're not taking yourself too seriously because yep. they feel that and they will respond to that. And that's another thing that James and I try to focus on. I mean, especially in these 6 a.m. sessions, 7 a.m. sessions, it's like, yeah. it's tough. Some of these kids just got out of bed and they've thrown a Pop-Tart down and you know it's going to take them a while to get going. We're yeah. 300 milligrams of caffeine in, yeah. into the right. day already, so we're okay. But, you know, you get them laughing, get them moving. Um, they seem to they seem to want to return after that. We're yeah, coach. To, well, to, to, yeah. to that point, too, I just I, I've seen it. I've seen it the other way I'm at a high level school where great strength program, great X's and O's. The facilities are huge, everything. But the the love, I don't want to even say the love, but it was just so, so just militaristic. It was just so stoic and just there was never any there was no. Um, I don't know if the what word there was like no human 
part of it. It was just kind of very just robotic and just da 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 da. And you just saw the kids like when they left, they left and they were not coming back for extra work. They were not. And and I'm gonna tell you when I got to Indiana, it was incredible because uh, you know Coach Wateska that was here. I can't tell you how many guys in CTU being one of them. Like you you do a workout and then you leave. And then three hours later, you're coming back into the weight room because you just wanted to get because then the the room, the culture, the, the it was fun. Like you got in front of a mirror, you got a sweat going again, yeah. you got a little pump. Like yeah, you gotta have a smiley face. This is it's all about that positivity. It's about that excitement. That the the whole military just ah, there's a place for it. But at the end of the day, if you want someone coming back, you got to enjoy it. You got to enjoy lifting weights. You got to enjoy getting better. And if you could do that man, you got a recipe for success. Yeah, absolutely. You, coaches, you don't have to sit there with your arms crossed, you know, or your arms behind your back. Re, you know, relax a little bit. It's not that serious. Coach, people want to get in touch with you. Where can they do that? Where can we find you on social media? So TJ Morris, uh, uh, well, no, it's actually Tom Morris Performance um, on social media, uh, website, all that stuff, tommorrisperformance.com. Uh, you can get in there. All my information's on it. Awesome. I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been so good. I hope people take a ton of, a ton of information from this because I think there were a lot of really important things that needed, that needed to be talked about and, and got talked about on this. And this, I won't just say this because you were preaching it. We have said it at the end of 47 other cutoffs and coffee episodes, but we ask our listeners to do three things before they leave us. Number one, it's always to continue to practice gratitude as you heard Coach Tom Morris preaching. Number two, tell the people that you love that you love them. And number three, live your life stimulated. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you all on the next conversation.